0: Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively.
1: Your hosts, Candy
0: and Ashley, will
1: discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale.
2: Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. in between so come on and join the fun the curtain opens in three two one stories and scandal water it's where you need to be stories and scandal water let's pour you a cup of tea
0: hello candy hey ashley how are you today
2: Cold. Well, it is not so not in here, just cold. out
0: there. It's very cold yeah. outside. We skipped fall and went straight to winter, as per usual. A
1: sleet always helps. Oh gosh, it's nice to have a you know a brisk wind and some mm. wet sleet. Oh yeah, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> well, you know what though, it does set the mood because we are doing another
0: holiday episode Yes, today. we are. Hooray Although for this a holiday! One
1: is unusual. Okay, I'm, I'm very excited. excited. I I kind
0: of knew the other the other ones that we did, but I don't know this one.
1: Well, I think you're going to like it, all right? But it's a little different. Okay. As is the warm-up, the little opener that we're going to do, okay?
0: hmm So
1: we're going to do a little free association, mm. a la Carl Jung. You oh, know. boy. Okay, but we promise not to psychoanalyze you based on your answers, <laughs> so no pressure. <laughs> okay. As you guys know, the word association game or whatever it's called Works like this. I'm going to say a word or a phrase and I'm mm-hmm. going to ask Ashley as quickly as she can, right off the top of her head, okay. to give the first word or phrase that comes to her mind. Okay. All right, are you ready? I'm ready.
0: Okay. Turkey. Dressing. Ghost. Busters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> Holiday tradition. Rudolph. Christmas. Tree. Charles Dickens
0: uh that one what's that what's that thing uh jacob marley
1: okay awesome do you have any idea based on the words that i just threw at you what our topic is going to be today <laughs> ghost stories yep no are you serious <laughs> christmas ghost stories that's awesome <laughs> that is exactly what we're talking about today that's so cool okay cool yeah in fact you inspired this because I did? yes one day i don't even know what we were talking about what the context was but you mentioned the song, the famous song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> has a line in it mm-hmm. There'll about be
0: scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago.
1: Yes, I've heard that song all my life, and I had never ever registered that it talked about scary ghost stories. Really? No, I never thought Christmas about Carol. It.
0: That's the name of it. Yes, I always thought. Well, maybe they mean Christmas Carol. Right.
1: But so what why had you paid attention to that? Was it just kind of this in passing thing? Or had you heard about something? No, about that it just before? was a
0: lyric that I had, like you had absorbed for years and years. And finally, one day, it was sort of like I went, Oh, scary ghost stories what would that be? And then I thought, well, maybe it means Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That that's a sort of scary ghost story. Mm. And it is. And and it's going to actually play a large role in what we're going to talk about today. Okay. But
1: there's more to it than that. Okay. I learned a lot preparing for this one. Mm. Yeah. So, before we jump in, let's take a minute and think about what are some of the traditions or things, events, whatever it might be that we associate with Christmas from a modern day perspective? So, for example, Christmas trees.
0: Christmas trees, wrapping presents, baking cookies.
1: Certain shows like Rudolph.
0: Rudolph, yeah. Christmas carols. Christmas caroling. mm -hmm. Movies, Christmas movies. Eating dinner. Eating dinner with family. Shopping. Lots of shopping. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that we think about. Mm -hmm. But
1: what I found out when I started researching this topic is that not even that long ago, Christmas looked way different in the way that people celebrated it. But a long time ago, it was unbelievably different. Was it cooler? Um, I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it might have been a little creepy in some ways. Is it yeah. sort of
0: like those Victorian Halloween costumes when you see the pictures of the kids from Victorian era in their yeah, costumes? It's like, You're like, like What is this stuff? <laughs> Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, well, here you go. Let's
1: just go ahead and jump right in. It turns out that. Telling ghost stories actually has been a part of Christmas for a long time. It is a folk custom that goes back for centuries. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's because families would while away their winter nights with these ghost stories, these tales of, of spooks and monsters. In fact, I'd never known about this before either but it even shows up in works from Shakespeare had to look this up as an English teacher I should have known but Shakespeare lived in 1564 to 1616 okay so just to kind of put it in context but in one of his plays The Winter's Tale there's a line by a character where he says a sad tale's best for winter I have one of sprites and goblins and then in another play The Jew of Malta that was written by Christopher Marlowe and either 1589 or 1590 they're not sure but anyway there's a, a line in that by a character who says now I remember those old women's words who in my wealth would tell me winter tales and speak of spirits and ghosts by night so it was kind of a thing in winter to tell these ghost stories That's maybe because
0: it's cold and bitter outside and there's a nice fire and so it's just something to do
1: kind of like the way we tell Ghost stories around a campfire, campfire? Mm -hmm. you know. Your
0: face is to the warmth, but your back is to the cold. Yeah. I like it. Imagery.
1: In a blog, a religious studies professor named Justin Daniels says... Christmas as celebrated in Europe was originally connected to the pagan winter solstice mm-hmm, celebration mm-hmm. and the festival known as Yule. Mm-hmm. The darkest day of the year was seen by many as a time when the dead would have particularly good access to the living.
0: That's interesting.
1: So apparently it was kind of this thing. they the had. The veil was a little mm-hmm, thinner. And so, you know, it was like it was more prevalent in their culture. They thought about it more. They told these stories more about it apparently. But these ghost stories and this idea of telling all these tales hills and winter didn't take off in america the way it did in europe and that was thanks in part to the pilgrims and their religious beliefs oh sure yeah okay so again putting this in context the pilgrims arrived at plymouth rock in 1620 which of course is not long after the plays that we've just talked about Mm -hmm. and the tradition of telling ghost stories was based in folklore that was you know very supernatural so the puritans frowned upon it and it really didn't take much hold in america they said Mm. because of that reason it turns out that Oliver Cromwell was the dude who really kind of put an end to the some... The Yeah. There was an article written by Clemency Burton Hill for The Guardian, and it talks about how Cromwell caused the decline of Christmas as a holiday altogether because he was the lord and protector of England in the 17th century, and he was a Puritan. Mm-hmm. So according to this author, he said that Cromwell was, quote, on a mission to cleanse the nation of its most decadent excesses on the top of the list was christmas and all its festive trappings.
0: Interesting.
1: So, according to him, prior to Cromwell coming in and shutting it all down, mm-hmm. christmas was celebrated with a lot of the things that we we enjoy now. Lots of food,
0: mm-hmm.
1: decorations, singing, they would do a lot of drinking apparently. He said that Cromwell actually banned christmas carols. Wow. I know. He was serious. Yeah, so christmas carols must he have been fun. He would have fit in in that it.
0: town in footloose. <laughs> yeah.
1: He would have. He would have supported them. He would have. <laughs> and apparently, there was even people dressing up in costumes and as part of their celebrations, which of course Cromwell puts an end to that too. Oh wow! So he shut it all down. And this continues, right? So Christmas kind of is fading. It said by the time Charles Dickens came along, which he wasn't until 1812. He died oh, wow. in 1870. The tradition of Christmas was fading by the time Charles Dickens was born, except it said in certain pockets in the countryside. It said that Christmas was a second-rate holiday. Easter was their main church holiday. Boxing Day actually was the main winter holiday. And Christmas was like way behind both of those. Boxing Day is the day
0: after Christmas, right? Oh, I don't know. I'm pretty
1: sure it is. Yeah. Okay. It said in a different source that, here's the quote, in fact, for most people, it was still a work day. The Industrial Revolution meant fewer days off for everyone, and Christmas was considered so unimportant that no one complained. I
0: think back in Henry VIII's day, I, I read a biography on his daughter Elizabeth, and I think they exchanged gifts New Year's Day. Hmm. I think that was more okay. of a time that you celebrated and gave each other presents was New Year's oh. instead of Christmas. Well, I can see that
1: mm-hmm. in the beginning of a new year mm-hmm. and excitement because she mm-hmm. wrote him
0: a poem or something. Okay.
1: Christmas Carol came along, and it actually changed a lot of things. Oh. Not just for this Christmas ghost story tradition, but in terms of bringing back Christmas as a holiday as well. Okay, um, So it was hugely important. Something I thought was interesting was that Charles Dickens actually wrote A Christmas Carol as a statement about society. He had been out and about in the country, and he was very concerned about issues like poverty, the child labor, yeah. the lack of any kind of system to support the disabled. Yeah. And so he wrote, it was a book, he wrote the book, really to try to cause change. Tiny Tim would have been the child labor kind Absolutely. Of, and the
0: disabled too.
1: And I can't remember the details, but he based Tiny Tim on a real child mm. that he knew who mm-hmm. was disabled and did not get help and died. Oh. And so that was who he based Tiny Tim on. But it said that in an there was a Time magazine article entitled How Charles Dickens a Christmas Carol Changed the Way the Holiday is celebrated. It said that when Charles Dickens pitched his book to the publishers, they couldn't understand why anybody would be interested in the idea. Christmas was unimportant. That's
0: how unimportant it
1: was. Yeah. Apparently, Charles had some foresight. He had noticed that christmas was making a little bit of a comeback because just Santa? recent well no actually no? it said that queen victoria had recently oh, yeah, married yeah, yeah. do you know what i'm talking about well the christmas trees they
0: started yes. using christmas trees and that really brought christmas trees back into people's lives yeah exactly
1: she had married the german prince albert and he they brought the christmas tree over from germany and it brought back this idea of oh this festival is a time for families and celebrations and so people were starting to to think about it yeah. more and so he was like a forerunner of that. He saw it coming, and he managed to put his book out there. The publishers were not great, though. In fact, in order to get the book published, Charles Dickens had to put in some of his own money because they wouldn't cover all the costs. He was not a fan of his publishers. I don't blame him. Of course, the book was published on December 19th, 1843, Mm -hmm. and it was a massive success. And I mean, we know now it's probably the most famous Christmas story of all time. Mm -hmm. And as we've said, it is a ghost story.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So as we all know, here's a quick summary. It's about a miserly man named Ebenezer Scrooge, who on Christmas Eve is visited by four spirits. The first one is his old business partner, Jacob Marley. And then there are the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas Christmas future. Yeah, Christmas yet to come. And of course, through the course of these encounters, he comes to realize how his selfish, heartless attitude toward others negatively affects them and he decides to change his ways right okay well as luck would have it the publication of his book a christmas carol occurred right around the same time as the invention of the commercial christmas card what luck it, it's, I thought this was fascinating. Apparently, I didn't dig into this, but it sounded like the tradition was that at Christmas time you had to write these big, long Christmas letters. Oh, And that was something yeah. that everybody did. Okay. And so this one fellow decided he didn't have time for that. He was he too said, busy. He said, just have a good holiday. And he invented the Christmas card. And of course, everybody was like, hey, save us <laughs> a lot of letter writing. We you love You see this. a need and you fill it. <laughs> right. But with the book coming out around the same time as the Christmas card, and then it comes Kind of coincided with these 19th century businesses who were looking for the idea of creating a new holiday because it meant money right. and it meant income. Right. So all of this together caused Christmas to kind of see a resurgence in Britain. And with it came the ghost stories Mm. because his book was so popular and it incorporated that other writers were in on this as well we had people like E.F. Benson, Algernon Blackwood, J.H. Riddle and then later in the 20th century A.M. Barrage and M.R. James. But Charles Dickens is the guy that they give the credit for keeping this tradition of ghost stories at Christmas time alive.
0: He's a granddaddy of them all. He,
1: yeah, he's the one. And one source literally said that while other Victorian writers might also have been doing it, it was really Charles Dickens who popularized the notion of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve. That is
0: really cool. Yeah.
1: So, one way he did it through his writing was I didn't know this, but apparently, Charles Dickens edited magazines for decades. Mm, So he would
0: know how to write chapters and make people want to tune tune in for more.
1: Absolutely. He knew how to do serials, but he also knew how to up the readership at the holiday time. He would put out these little special Christmas specials, right? So one of his magazines was Household Worlds. That one ran from 1850 to 1859. And then after 1859, His magazine was all the year round. In his Christmas publications, Charles's magazine, they would put out Christmas stories that featured, you know, that ghostly element, not just a Christmas carol, Uh but also certain works, other works like one was called The Chimes, one was called The Haunted Man, both of which also feature an unhappy man who changes his ways after visitation by a ghost. Are those available? Oh, I'm sure they're out there somewhere. So his publications didn't just tie to winter. They weren't just winter themed. They explicitly linked Christmas and to ghost stories, to to these ghostly events. In one of his stories called The Seven Poor Travelers, which was written in 1854, he even said straight up, Christmas Eve is the, quote, witching time for storytelling. Oh. Yeah. So with that in mind, Ashley, Uh I have rounded up one of Charles (gasps) Dickens' stories. Oh, cool. This is called The Story of the Goblins Who Stole a Sexton.
0: That is a very specific title. (laughs) Yes, it is.
1: It was actually written before a Christmas Carol. Oh. Some would say this is a precursor. I'll tell you a little bit more about it after you share with us oh. a little
0: excerpt. Okay. Now,
1: this is Charles Dickens. So it's a little flowery. It's a little flowery. Be okay. prepared for okay. some long sentences and some big oh, words. Okay. And because I know our listeners probably don't want to hear a nine-page story. Oh yeah. That's, just that looks like a, tiny
0: font. We're gonna do a
1: brief <laughs> excerpt. Okay. Okay. So I've I've highlighted the part that I'll have you read in your best suspenseful voice oh dear well is it
0: going to be like my voice for the um the war of the worlds (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to be quite so um, So excited it's going to be
1: more dramatic okay yeah eerie but, I don't need the rest of this, do no, I? No, you don't. You okay. only need that one page. Okay. So just to offer a little context to make sure that our listeners can follow you, I'll give you the lead in. Okay. The story is about this church sexton. And by the way, a church sexton is, here's the definition, a church officer or employee who takes care of the church property and performs related minor duties such as ringing the bell or digging graves. This particular church sexton is doing just that. He is a grumpy horrible miserly man who is on his way to dig a grave in the graveyard okay Okay. i would
0: not call grave digging a minor thing but okay (laughs) we'll go with that he's grumpy all right is his name gabriel Mm -hmm. as gabriel walked on and the voice drew nearer, he found it proceeded from a small boy, who was hurrying along to join one of the little parties in the old street, and who, partly to keep himself company, and partly to prepare himself for the occasion, was shouting out the song at the highest pitch of his lungs. So, Gabriel waited until the boy came up, and then dodged him into a corner, and wrapped him over the head with his lantern five or six times to teach him to modulate his voice. And, as the boy hurried away with his hand to his head, singing quite a different sort of tune, Gabriel Grubb, chuckled very heartily to himself, and entered the churchyard, locking the gate behind him. Well, he's already mean. Exactly. Okay. He took off his coat, put down his lantern, and getting into the unfinished grave, worked at it for an hour or so with a right good will. But the earth was hardened with frost, and it was no very easy matter to break it up and shovel it out. And although there was a moon, it was a very young one, and shed little light upon the grave, which was in the shadow of the church. At any other time... These obstacles would have made Gabriel Grubb very moody and miserable, but he was so well pleased with having stopped the small boy's singing that he took a little heed of the scanty progress he had made and looked down into the grave. When he had finished work for the night, with grim satisfaction, murmuring, he gathered up his things. Ho, ho, laughed Gabriel Grubb, as he sat himself down on the flat tombstone, which was a favorite resting place of his, and drew forth his wicker bottle. A coffin at Christmas, a Christmas box, ho, 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 repeated a voice which sounded close behind him. Gabriel paused in some alarm, in the act of raising the wicker bottle to his lips, and looked around. The bottom of the oldest grave about him was not more still and quiet than the churchyard in the pale moonlight. Not the faintest rustle broke the profound tranquility of the solemn scene. Sound itself appeared to be frozen up. All was so cold and still. "'It was the echoes,' said Gabriel Grubb, raising the bottle to his lips again. "'It was not.' said a deep voice. Gabriel started up and stood rooted to the spot with astonishment and terror, for his eyes rested on a form that made his blood run cold. Seated on an upright tombstone, close to him, was a strange, unearthly figure, whom Gabriel felt at once was no being of this world. His long, fantastic legs, which might have reached the ground, were cocked up and crossed after a quaint, fantastic fashion. His sinewy arms were bare and his hands rested on his knees." Ooh, mm. sounds like he has whatever is coming to him,
1: coming to him. <laughs> <laughs> well before we go on why don't we take a quick break
0: okay
2: hey this is josh martin i'm the jingle writer for the scandal water podcast and i've known ashley and candy for quite a while and i knew that this podcast would be every bit as good as it has been their passion for theater their passion for the cinema the level of research and the level of detail that they give in these stories their ability to tell the story so it makes this podcast so great working with these ladies to determine what this jingle needed to sound like was such a pleasure you can contact me at jrmartin245 at gmail.com I do a lot of that kind of stuff if you need a jingle for your podcast let me know and I've also got a new album coming out this winter it's a self-titled album that you can find anywhere that fine music is being streamed Now, that's enough for me. I think my glass is getting a little low here. So, Ashley and Candy, would you guys mind to maybe pour me a little more tea?
1: As I said, this was a precursor. This was about, I believe, seven years before A Christmas Carol was published. Mm -hmm. And so some think this was almost Charles Dickens playing with the idea that ended up turning into A Christmas Carol because, spoiler alert, the sexton ends up learning his lesson and becoming a different fellow because of his encounter with these goblins in mm. this churchyard. Mm-hmm. And he is very much an Ebenezer type character at the beginning. Does he of go the and story. apologize to that little guy? I don't believe he ever goes and finds that little boy, but he definitely gets his comeuppance Good. and learns his lesson. Okay, Back to the point. Dickens made this such a regular part. I mean, every year he was putting out these Christmas stories and it helped to again not only popularize christmas but this
0: tradition did he call it specifically christmas stories do you know or was it a different term
1: referenced it okay but yeah dickens helped make the practice of telling scary stories at christmas so common that a humorist named jerome k jerome wrote in his 1891 collection called told after supper that quote whenever five or six english-speaking people meet round a fire on christmas eve They start telling each other ghost stories. Mm. Nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve but to hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. It's a genial festive season and we love to muse upon graves and dead bodies and murders and blood. Really?
0: they would have fit right in with the true crime movement of today. <laughs> See, it's so it's wild. Totally normal that we are fascinated <laughs> that's by it, these that's things. It. Oh, I have a oh okay, I have an update for you. Okay, this is totally this is taking a ninety degree, degree turn real quick. But remember when we had our first episode and we talked about why do we listen to true crime? Yes. right. So this came to me afterwards so I had this incident where I was in town somewhere and I was walking into a house of a friend and this person flew up the road and like slammed on the brakes right in front of me and it was a woman and she was absolutely frantic and she said have you seen my dog and she held out her her um a picture on a phone or something Mm -hmm. and I started to walk toward her car and all of a sudden in my mind it went stop
2: Mm. and
0: every true crime i had ever heard in my life just automatically made me literally stop in my tracks turns out she was a normal person but can you think of that situation you just this woman is frantic she comes up in a van has she had a dog with her but she said help can you help me find my dog here's what it looks like and she holds out this phone what if i had walked toward her and someone had been in that Mm -hmm. so that was just a sidebar of that's why we listen to true crime that is why we listen to true crime because it saved me from an completely fine situation <laughs> but in my as head it turns out. as it turns out it was totally fine and i i looked up and she really was missing her dog but what if she hadn't been exactly and that's what stopped me is just you know this situation stop mm, I, love I just that. heard that Awareness. in my head yes i heard Awareness. it in my head mhm cool well back to poor old charles
2: dickens <laughs> by 1868
1: he'd had enough he he himself decided He didn't want to do that anymore. He discontinued the Christmas publications every year, even complaining to his friend Charles Fletcher that he felt as if I had, quote, murdered Christmas a number of years ago. Perhaps I did. And its ghost perpetually haunted me.
0: Wow. So he's regretting it. Well, yeah, he
1: got tired of it, I think. Yeah. They said that other writers picked up where he left off. They continued to tell ghost stories. But here's what happened. They said that these other writers started to care more about the scare and the suspense. Instead of the actual moral of the story? That is 100% Mm -hmm. it. In fact, a writer named William Dean Howells wrote an editorial in Harper's Magazine in 1886. And he said that the ghost tradition, the Christmas ghost story tradition, had suffered from the loss of Dickens' sentimental morality. Mm. And he said, this is a quote, the ethical intention which gave dignity to Dickens' Christmas stories of an earlier date has almost wholly disappeared. Wow. Yeah. So the fact that, that Dickens had used his stories to reaffirm these basic values, to teach lessons, to do exactly what you said. They had morals. Yeah, That was important. That was important to people. And so they just wanted to tell stories. One of the examples they gave was in Henry James' famous gothic novella, The Turn of the Screw. Uh It's framed around a group of men sitting around a fire telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve, but it was all about the terror. It didn't have any kind of important message to share. Another writer wrote an editorial for Harper's Magazine as well, and here's what he said. It was well, once a year, if not oftener, to remind men by parable of the old simple truths, to teach them that forgiveness and charity and the endeavor for life better and purer than each has lived are the principles upon which alone the world holds together and gets forward. It was well for the comfortable and the refined to be put in mind of the savagery and suffering all around them, and to be taught as dickens was always teaching that certain feelings which grace human nature as tenderness for the sick and helpless self-sacrifice and generosity self-respect and manliness and womanliness are the common heritage of the race the direct gift of heaven shared equally by the rich and poor mm,
0: that's lovely it
1: was even the way they spoke, spoke back was then. beautiful I know, so and all i can come
0: up with is wow or that's cool
1: at the same time that this tradition of telling christmas ghost stories was starting to lose its popularity partly because you know of what we've just discussed dickens had dropped out of it other people had kind of just gotten caught up in telling scary stories well another thing had happened that that had a huge impact on this which was a lot of immigrants from Scotland and Ireland were moving to America, and they brought with them a new tradition called Halloween. Oh, yeah. okay. And so Halloween started taking over as something that was associated with scary the scary events. ghost stories. Exactly. Okay. Now, it wasn't overnight. It took a long time. In fact, uh-huh. I was surprised at how long that transition took. There was a good housekeeping article that said Halloween parties weren't even really kind of a thing until the late 1800s in America and that trick-or-treating didn't really take off until maybe 60 or so years ago in the 1950s when Halloween became more of a national event. Hmm. So Halloween did not happen overnight. Okay. But definitely, you know, there was this shift was happening.
0: That's very interesting.
1: And one source said that even as late as 1915, there were still Christmas magazines that were dominated by ghost stories. So it took a while. It took a while for that to totally die out and for Halloween to kind of take over as the time for spirits and haunts and all that type of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. So there you go, Ashley. That is very interesting. Thank you for doing that. I'm
1: fascinated. I had no idea about any of this. I didn't either. Yeah.
2: Armchair Psychologist.
1: That leads us into our armchair psychologist moment. Okay, which I'm just gonna ask you, uh, why? Why we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but why would telling ghost stories be a thing at Christmas time? At like,
0: Christmas time? Gosh, I don't know. I thought you were gonna ask me what my favorite version of a Christmas carol is. Well, you can answer that one too. Mm, probably the Muppets, <laughs> <laughs> followed by Scrooge to with Bill Murray. I like oh, that, that version too. Good. Oh, one reason I like the the Muppets one is I think it was Michael Caine who was in that, and he mm-hmm. said he treated it as a straight drama. And that's. <laughs> he he, he took would. It, he would. Yeah. Okay, so why do we tell each other ghost stories at Christmas? I have a theory. Oh, let me hear it. Well, no, I want you to. Well, maybe I can bank on it. I'm, I'm kind of going to make something up right now. Let me hear what you have to say. Well, I think it's similar
1: to what we've alluded to already, mm-hmm. but I think at Christmas time, it is a time for family. Mm-hmm. You have gathered people together. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm in my mind, I see these families who are in the same house, maybe friends and, and relatives you haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And you don't have TV and you don't have True. movies. Yeah. And, and like, what would you do? Well, we spook each
0: other. Telling ghost stories is fascinating. It and is. Like- I think that we have a natural affinity and obsession sort of with the supernatural.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, I think we kind of have I'd be interested in in digging into more of how supernatural the world used to be I feel like we live in a supernatural world and we've just kind of tapped that down but the more you dig into that the more I think it proves itself true that Mm. this is a this is a more of a supernatural world than we initially think it to be Hmm. that's interesting Mm -hmm.
1: I do think people are fascinated by it for sure I mean yeah I can remember jumping around a little bit, but I'm going back to what you said about the the fire. You know, yeah. I mean, telling ghost stories around a fire mm-hmm. was such a cool thing to do. I had a brief stint as a brownie when I was young, uh-huh. and I mean, like that was my favorite thing about camping. I know? guess you.
0: Some people really get uh, attracted to that spooked out feeling. Like mm-hmm. you read more scary books than I do, correct? Because oh, you do. read you read the yes. Stephen King stuff. Oh yes. And so why do you, what do you like about those? Why do they appeal to you so much? Why does that spooky feeling appeal to you? Well, that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I think it's the
1: adrenaline,
0: mm-hmm. the
1: the empathy with the characters and being able to put yourself in their shoes, yet you're totally safe. Right. It's like you get to experience these situations that are just terrifying or mysterious and or suspenseful, but you're cuddled up in this warm bed and you get to experience it secondhand and it's just
0: is it sort of like living vicariously adventurously or it's something but it's also something you quote-unquote know would never really happen to you well i'm sure
1: that knowing that you're safe and that you hope it's never going to happen to you definitely makes it much more appealing but yeah i think i think the best writers and or storytellers Mm -hmm. are the ones who make you feel like you're there and that Mm -hmm. you are in that experiencing it. you're experiencing it you're in that story living it
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the main characters and so that's what
0: what is your favorite spooky story let's do some association let's turn let's turn them tables <laughs> oh goodness. when I say when I say that what was the first story that came to your head
1: well maybe it's because you'd already said Stephen King so sure, my mind probably. was already there but I mean some of the classic Stephen Kings are just so creepy Salem's Lot
0: and what's that about
1: vampires oh yeah the stand and what's that about Pandemic that wipes out. (laughs) Oh dear! It wipes out the world. But then there's also there is a supernatural element. There's kind of Uh the forces of good and evil, and yeah, it's it's a big, it's a it's an epic novel. There there are so many, Mm -hmm. but it is fascinating because Mm -hmm. you just get drawn into them. Mm -hmm. And I think there is something with that adrenaline. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's something with the. What is it that that gets released? The epinephrine or whatever that chemical is. Yes, thank you.
0: Endorphins. Endorphins. I'm sure it's something to do with that. It has to be. And I guess, like I said, it's because our lives, too, are fairly safe
2: and Mm -hmm. predictable.
0: Mm -hmm. And we're not going to be in these kind of adventures. So you kind of feel the adventure through them. Now, I don't know about olden times that... The grave thing that we just read earlier, I hope that never happens. <laughs> if it does, I would not sit there and converse with him. I would be exactly. halfway home.
1: <laughs> yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a fun episode to it research. It was a really
0: fun one. I'm glad you did that.
1: Well, let's end, I think, with a cheers to Charles Dickens. Yes, Because sir. I knew he had a, a great impact on literature. Did not
0: realize it was a great impact on Christmas, the holiday. Right? So... Cheers to you, Mr. Charles Dickens. Cheers to you and to sweet Tiny Tim.
1: This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown.
0: All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others.
1: As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future
0: guests Advertisers. Or, clearly, professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.